Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. we just want to say to you this morning we we do indeed love you with all our hearts you're so wonderful in our eyes Lord you're so beautiful so incredible so powerful we want to thank you that as we read all about you in the word this morning there's power present to save to heal to change lives this morning Lord, we're, we're expecting to meet you in, this, in these words, Lord, in these scriptures. And we give you all praise and thanks, Lord, this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would um, turn with me, please, to Romans 1. And if you'd put the slide up, be grateful. Romans 1. I gather Chris did a fab job last week of introducing... Romans, and um, I want to uh, just go back to this first chapter this morning, and my title, I'm really hoping the slide is there, because I've got a great title this morning. This is called The Revolution of the Unashamed. There we are, coming up in a moment. The Revolution of the Unashamed, and we're going to read Romans 1, verses 1 to 17, reading from the Holman translation. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and was established as the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness. We have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves, who are also Jesus Christ's by calling. Amen. To all who are in Rome... Loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his Son, is my witness that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
Now, I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as uh, among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I don't know how many of you have have read that this week or last week. Hands up if you've been brilliant. Okay, so so, um, this is, is, um, I mean, this epistle is just stunning, isn't it? Fantastic epistle. And what a fantastic opening few verses. In all Paul's letters, he, he writes, he opens them the same way. This is from Paul, this is to you, and I want to say this to you, and he always ends up with grace and peace. But these first um, six or seven verses is the most, uh, the, most, um, the most densely packed, elaborate opening statements that Paul makes, and it just introduces us to this fantastic, densely packed epistle. Yes, and so what I want to do this morning is just, just pick up three things in particular that are really, really massive statements that Paul is making to the believers in Rome, He's making statements about himself and about them. And to say, just as they were true for Paul and for the Roman believers, so they are true for me and you and all the believers here. And and, and they all concern these three sort of, um, these three sub-themes that are going to run through our study of Romans over these next few weeks into months. Um, Identity. Purpose, destiny. Chris mentioned those last week. So, so in all these points, we will keep coming back to those themes. This is about who we are. This is about what we're to be doing. This is about where we're going. And the first big thing to say is this. We are set apart to serve. Set apart to serve. So have a look at verse 1 again. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. In the New International, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The New Living Translation, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. And then verse 6, including yourselves, who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints in the New Living, you are included among those Gentiles who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. Do you know what, folks? If we could grasp what Paul is saying there and really embrace it, 
We'd have no issues concerning our identity, our purpose, our destiny. Now, Paul is writing um, somewhere in the the middle 50s, 56, 57. He's never been to Rome. This is not a church he's established. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, it tells us that some of the people in Jerusalem hearing the outpouring of the Spirit were visitors from Rome. So likely they went back to Rome, they established the church. Paul wasn't there at the beginning, but he's longing to visit this place. He says their faith is reported all over the world, and he's, he's been longing to go there so that, so that he could encourage them and be encouraged by them. And Rome was the largest city in the world at that time, with an estimated million people. And the Roman Empire estimated to have covered 20% of the world population. An immense empire, a huge city. And as I said a few weeks ago, the the good and the bad of Roman culture was on full display. The literature, the art, the music, the buildings. What have the Romans ever done for us? The infrastructure, the education, plus slavery, prostitution, homosexuality, promiscuity, immorality, all on display in this vast city. And the whole of the empire lived um, in the grip of pagan worship. They worshipped um, uh, the gods, they called them. They were were a whole um, spectrum of Greek and Roman idols, and the worship of the gods was everywhere. But the most powerful of all the gods was Caesar himself. He wasn't just an emperor. The Caesars weren't just the emperors. They weren't just dictators even. They they were considered to be the son of a god. And their statues were everywhere. And everybody was to worship the Caesars. They were worshippers, not just subjects in this empire. So if if ever there was an empire, if ever there was a territory, if ever there was a, a kingdom that understood power and prestige and status, it was this Roman Empire. And nowhere more so than the very epicenter of that empire in Rome itself. And now Paul writes to the church there, to the church in this, uh, this great church, in this great city, in this, in this vast empire, and is opening... Few words say this, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. He's writing to the church in this city, which absolutely understood and and, and celebrated and and worshipped prestige and status, and Paul introduces himself as a slave of Christ. Before anything else, he's a bondservant, a doulos, He's a bond servant of his beloved master. He understands himself, himself to have been set apart as a servant or a slave of Christ. Bound to Christ. Living to serve Jesus on earth. To outwork his duty, his obligation, his calling to serve Christ. And you know, this isn't some sort of false humility. This is, this is, this is an opening Four or five words, which is the most powerful statement that gets to the very heart 
of what makes the kingdom of God so radically different to all the kingdoms, all the empires, all the territories, all the nations of the world. They are established on hierarchy, on power, on uh, perhaps oppression and corruption even, on dominance. But the most powerful kingdom in all time and eternity is founded on servanthood and sacrifice. Paul is signaling a revolution. He wears his slavery as a a badge of honor. He's unashamed of it. He's unashamed to be known first and foremost as a slave of Christ, a bondservant. He knows he's been born. He knows he's been reborn. He knows he's been set apart. He knows he's been singled out for the gospel of God. And as you will have noticed as we read through, he uses another word to describe this, this, um, this being set apart, this being uh, singled out. He, he talks over and over again about being called. You notice that? He says, though, he says he's been called as an apostle. They, have been, uh, they belong to Jesus Christ by calling, verse 6. That they are called as saints, verse 7. And the word he's using uh, means invited or summonsed, appointed. When he says they've been called as saints, the word, the word for saints means to be set apart for God, to be holy, to be sacred. Uh, and, and at the core of that word, this, this hagios is the word, called as saints, at the core of that word means basically being different. Different from. Different from the world. Because they're to be like God. Different from the world to be like God. Distinguished, uh, separated out. If you look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1 verses 15 and 16, there's one of these really um, most challenging statements. Uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Be different, be set apart, be distinct, be, be singled out, because I am holy, says the Lord. Be like I am. You and I have a divine calling on our lives. We've been, our, our life, your life, if, you, if you're in this room today, whoever you are, wherever you're at, However, wherever you are in your, in your walk with God or your, your walk towards the Lord, perhaps, I believe with all my heart there is a predetermined, predestined call of God upon your life. Yes. He's invited us. He's appointed us. He's called us to serve. He's called us to be different. Yes. He's called us to be distinct. He's called us to belong to Christ. He's called us to be like Him and unlike every other. I want to, um, I want to just say some things and I want you to, to allow the Word of God to wash over you this morning because many of us, many of you, have heard things like this. You're no good. You'll never make it. You're unimportant. You're not as good as. You're not like your brother. 
You'll never be like your dad or your mum. You're unimportant. You're not needed. You're insignificant. You're, you're peripheral. You're additional, extra. God says, you are loved. You are chosen. You are called. You are singled out. You are handpicked, set apart to serve God's purpose. You're believed in. You're affirmed. You're assigned. You're vital. You're needed. So we, we, we come to our true identity, our true purpose, our, our true destiny. And maybe this needs a quantum shift for us to embrace who we are, to embrace why we're here, to embrace where we're going, to embrace the fact that we belong to Him. No one else, no one else has a prior or higher claim over your life. You and I owe allegiance to no one else. I'll say more about that in a moment. Set apart to serve. The second thing I want to say is Paul is carrying a gigantic gospel. Could you just turn to somebody and say gigantic gospel? A gigantic gospel. The scale of it the depth of it, the reach of it, the height of it. A gigantic gospel. This is how he starts his letter. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, the gospel, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was established as the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. And then verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes first for the Jew to the Jew and also to the Greek or in the New Living he says for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Gentile Paul has been set apart or singled out for the gospel of God And the first thing he wants us to know about the gospel of God, in in my version it says this, it concerns his son. It concerns his son. Don't know what yours is. It's about his son. Concerning his son. The gospel concerns God's son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel of God concerns the Son of God. It's good, verse 9, it's good news about the Son. There is um, the whole content 
of the gospel of God is the Son of God. It's all about him. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega. He's, he's the cornerstone and the capstone. All the scriptures are about him. It, it's all about him filling the church with his fullness. It's all about him filling the cosmos with himself. It's all about Jesus. All the gospel is about him. And this is great news because do you know what? The gospel is not about you. The gospel is not about me. The gospel is not about Living Rock Church. The gospel is about his son. It concerns his son. And I love the way he, he makes this, this, this statement in verses in verse, um, 4. And into, in verse 4, he says, Jesus, who, who was descended from David, but raised by the Spirit. Jesus had a, had a if I could put it this way, he had a human descent, born of a woman. He, he, he had a, a human descent, but he ascended to fill, as Ephesians 4.10 says, to fill the whole cosmos. His descent, his becoming a man, his incarnation established him um, as fully man. But his ascent, his resurrection and his ascending into heaven established him as fully God. And now therefore he's he's enthroned in heaven and on earth. He is truly the son of man and the son of God. He He had a human a human origin, if you could put it that way, but he had a supernatural resurrection and ascension. And this resurrection is pivotal, isn't it? Because as we find out, as we'll find out in this letter, as we get, as we get into the letter, we'll find out that there's only one way to God. It is through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of heaven and earth. And if Jesus has been raised from the dead... Listen carefully. Then all the powers of darkness are defeated. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, Satan has no authority any longer. Let's embrace it. Let's go on a quantum shift and embrace the fact that if Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, there's no other authority in our lives. The squatter has been evicted. I read this this morning in um, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. This, this was his, his, his thought for the day. This was part of it. He says, in external history, in external history, if, if you looked at things purely in sort of worldly historical terms, the cross is an infinitesimal thing. Wooden cross on a hill outside a city 2,000 years ago. In external history, the cross is an infinitesimal thing. From the Bible's point of view, it is of more importance than all the empires of the world. But I I think there's a key for us here because um, we too have a human ancestry and a heavenly calling. We too are born of flesh and born of the spirit. And I don't want you to think I'm just throwing out phrases now. 
I, the Spirit of God wants to put something in us this morning by way of belief, by way of grasping something. You and I were born of flesh and born again by the Spirit of God. Born of water, born of the Spirit. Born on earth, born from above. Christ has been raised up. Ephesians 1 tells us Christ has been raised up. And Ephesians 2 tells us we've been raised up with him. In other words, you are not a mere man. You're not a mere human. The Spirit of God has performed a miracle of new birth inside you and inside me. So I have a natural ancestry, which I'm grateful for. But I have a supernatural identity, purpose, destiny. And this this doesn't give me two natures. This gives me one true nature. I've been reborn to come into God, to come into everything God always had for me. These are not just theological statements. This This has a practical reality. You and I are, all of us, both genders, we are sons of God. And we're filled with the Spirit. And we're different. And we're distinct. And we're set apart and singled out. We must not live as mere men. That's a a phrase in in 1 Corinthians, mere, mere men. We must not live as mere men because that is not who we are. This is a quantum shift. The Holy Spirit is living in you to live the powerful life of Christ through you. The Holy Spirit is living in you so so that he can live the life of Christ through you. And I want to ask you, what difference did that make in your life last week? Good. Because because if it's making no difference, something has to shift quantumly. How did being born again, how did being baptized in the Spirit affect your life last week? At work, in college, at the school gates. There's a missionary living inside you. Yes. And, he's, and he's longing to reach people through you. Yes. There's a friend. There's a friend who lives in you, who's longing to befriend others. Right. There's a healer living in you, who, who's longing for you to lay your hands on people yes. so he can reach them through you. Yes. There's a comforter living inside us who, who longs to put his arm around others and comfort them through you. The Spirit of God is living inside us. We're born again, baptized in the Spirit for a reason. To be different, to be distinct, to be singled out and set apart. Wow, this is our true nature. This is our true identity, our real purpose, our, 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 our certain destiny. And it's powerful, it's dynamic, and it's utterly sufficient. This gigantic gospel... Paul says in verse 16, is God's power for salvation. 
That word means, means miraculous power, might and strength, physical power, force, ability, energy, efficacy. Can I just say that one? Powerful deeds, marvelous works, power for salvation. And, and the word he uses for salvation means um, deliverance and preservation and safety and welfare and well-being. It concerns life in all its fullness. This gospel has real and miraculous power and ability to, to save us and deliver us and preserve us and to give us abundant life. But it's not just that it has power. It doesn't say the gospel has power. It says this gospel is God's power. There's, there's an important difference. Now, again, listen carefully. The gospel doesn't just have power. The gospel, this gospel, this good news of Jesus, this, this that I'm preaching this morning, has power. Is power indeed. This gospel is power. That means that this morning, even this morning, even right now, power is present. Because the gospel is power to save. You may be here this morning and maybe never heard this gospel, maybe don't know that much about Jesus. I want to assure you this morning, God's power is present to save to heal, to preserve, to make you safe, to bring you home. There's something in that word, and I searched my commentaries this week to find it again, and I couldn't. So just trust me. There's something in that, that word about gospel which has this sense of calling home. Calling home. I believe God is... Um, wanting to call some people home this morning and for you to know this, this gospel has power to transform your life today. Paul quotes Habakkuk right at the end of that section. He says, that just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He's quoting, quoting Habakkuk who was a prophet writing seven centuries before Christ. 700 years before Christ, the prophet announces that we'll be saved by faith. Is that amazing? The announcement of the gospel, one of the many. There's there's an announcement in the garden, actually. but, But this announcement comes seven centuries before Christ. God announces that we will be saved by faith. The righteous will live by faith. There's an announcement And I want to announce this morning, you can be saved by faith this morning. Simple faith. As small as a mustard seed. Just enough faith to say, I can't do this on my own. I'm giving myself to Christ this morning. Faith saves us. The gospel saves us. We respond to the gospel by faith. It says in this gospel, verse 17, for in it, in this gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. This is the the key to the whole of this letter. The righteousness of God is revealed, is shown to us, is unveiled to us, is disclosed to us in this gospel. And it means that um, 
God, God provides righteousness for us because, because we, we receive Christ. We, all our righteousness is in Christ. So when we receive Christ, we, we come into God's righteousness. But it also has this meaning. God is, God is shown to be right. God's own righteousness is on display in the gospel. God is proved right when he tells us that we're sinners and we can be saved by faith and the life, death, resurrection and ascension of his son is all sufficient. God is shown to be right. God is, God's righteousness is on display in the gospel. Hallelujah. The third thing I want to say just to finish this morning is this. Paul preached this gospel. There's so much we could say. Um, is it Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote like commentary after commentary after commentary on the book of Revelation, uh, book of Romans even. And um, here we are trying to, trying to say something about Romans 1. I read a great quote recently. Somebody was talking about writing a book about the Bible. He said, writing a book about the Bible is like building a sandcastle in front of the Matterhorn. <laughs> a few minutes on Romans 1 seems utterly insufficient, but this is the third thing I want to say. Paul, Paul has preached this gospel the time he writes this letter. He's preached this gospel and he's planted churches um, in large parts of, of that empire. He's gone intentionally He's gone strategically to key centers of commerce and culture. He's been to Antioch. He started in Antioch. Then he went to Cyprus and, and cities and towns in Galatia. Then he went to Thessalonica. Then he went to Athens. Then he went to Corinth. Then he went to Ephesus. Paul, Paul has been through the empire. And in every place, he's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead and forgiveness of sins is found in him and that Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He's taken his gospel through the heartland of Caesar's territory and he's challenged and confronted powers of darkness. He's challenged and confronted and called out the worship of idols, all the gods, He's challenged and confronted uh, everything that was opposed to the kingdom of God. And now he writes to this church at the heart of this empire and declares his gospel and effectively announces that a revolution is underway that will ultimately overthrow this empire. And this is the heart of his revolutionary message. It's a simple one. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And he's taken that message through the empire. Waging war in Caesar's heartland and declaring Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Because only Jesus has been declared to be the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Caesar may have been regarded as a son of a small g God, but Jesus 
is the Son of the God. And this gospel means allegiance to one king and one king only. And it's not Caesar. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and every other God must go. Every other allegiance must be put away. Paul, listen folks, Paul is not announcing a new life or a new lifestyle. He's not even announcing a new chapter, a new era. He's announcing a whole new world order. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Jesus is Lord. There is no other king. And I believe this is key for us today. You can't have two lords. Jesus is Lord. And nothing and nobody else is. And I, I honestly believe it's time to break a few chains this morning by saying this. So, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus is Lord. And your past is not. Jesus is Lord. And your, your circumstances, your challenges are not. Jesus is Lord, and your fears, my fears, my anxieties, your fears, your anxiety, any worries we may have, they're not. Night terrors are not your Lord. Jesus is Lord, and sickness is not, ailments are not, disease is not. Jesus is Lord. How about this one? Your personality is not. Your timidity is not. Jesus is Lord. Your age is not. Who was 90? Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. I'm not sure whether that was a real person or a... Jesus is Lord, folks. Your career is not. Your house is not. Your car is not. Your family is not. Jesus is Lord. Your boss is not. Your work is not. Here's a a challenging one. Jesus is Lord. Your diary is not. Your schedule is not. Your calendar is not. Jesus is Lord. And here's a revelation to some people. Instagram is not. I agree. Do I have an... Can I hear an amen? Amen. Instagram is not your Lord. Jesus is Lord. Facebook is not your Lord. These things are not your Lord, not my Lord. They will dictate, they will enslave you, they will rob your peace, they will steal your joy. Don't surrender an inch. Don't give them anything. They have no claim over your life. And if chains need to be broken this morning, folks, let them break. Jesus is Lord. And nothing and nobody else is. Your Lord will liberate you and set you free. Hallelujah. This this epistle is, is like a call to arms. We've been called, we've been singled out, we've been set apart to serve God and his purpose. We have a gigantic gospel, powerful, 
to make us right with God and to set people free. And we're unashamed of it. Let's embrace a a quantum shift that enables us to live as those born from above, filled with His Spirit. Revolutionaries who, who throw off every other allegiance and throw ourselves into the expansion of His kingdom. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.